This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to episode 194 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Jordan and I'm joined today by Brady and David. After a couple extra days to lick their wounds from a disappointing rivalry loss to Georgia Southern, the Panthers will have a big shot to get things right quickly as they host ranked James Madison this Saturday at Center Park Stadium. We'll preview the big matchup on the gridiron and then finish with our first regular season game preview of the basketball season. But before we get into this week's matchups, let's start the show with a look back at the Sunbelt slate from last Saturday in our Sunbelt roundup. First up, App State 48, Southern Miss 38. Southern Miss headed up the mountain to face the Mountaineers in that contest. Arkansas State traveled to ULM and beat the Warhawks 34-24. Louisiana 33, South Alabama 20 in Sunbelt West action. Coastal Carolina hosted Marshall and defeated the Thundering Herd 34-6. Troy 31, Texas State 13 in another Sunbelt West battle. And then James Madison barely squeaks by Old Dominion 30-27. to Gentlemen, thoughts on this week in the Sunbelt? I thought that James Madison Old Dominion game was very, very fun. Um... I like Old Dominion gave uh, the Dukes every single thing that they had, and the Dukes the Dukes really earned that win. It was a very very good football game um, from start to finish. Like I had a very early morning flight on Sunday, and I was like, I I cannot go to sleep before finishing this game. It's just too good. Uh, very very fun. Yeah, it was kind of fitting for me that on that game, the second to last drive ODU had when they had a chance to go take the lead ended on a sack and then the final play of the game was a sack where the time ran out um after i believe a fumble that was recovered by jmu and like odu really did do everything they could in that game and they gave a good account of it and not even like a, a subtle tease more on what they did offensively later when we do that preview um but the thing that looked like the edge going into the game, which was JMU being the sack leader in the country, Old Dominion giving up the most as an offensive line in the country, ended up, to me, looking like what ended up being decisive. And uh, JMU was able to escape. Avoided the Sunbelt curse of the last few years where you get ranked and you lose immediately. That at least, you know, they are off of that fate at least a week. Uh, we'll find out on Saturday as far as that goes. Uh, a lot of these games, I you know, I'm not perfect on my expectations of games. I thought this might have been the year for Texas State against Troy, for example. Obviously, Troy took care of their business. But there was one game this week I was entirely off on. And it was Coastal just cooking Marshall with a backup quarterback in with McCollin available. Um, I don't know how replicable that is. Like, we'll see if it just Marshall's in a real crisis of confidence and you got like a little boost with. Uh, starting quarterback making his first game, but it does look like Tim Beck and company have kind of found their footing after not really knowing what they were going to do offensively. It just looked like they didn't have any real plan that was working on offense. And they seem to, even with losing their talismanic quarterback, they found something because they absolutely rolled in that game. I thought if anything, Marshall had the edge, but no matter which way it was going to be kind of like a possession here, possession there. Uh, no, Coastal had that one basically the whole way, and it got ugly. 
Yeah, Coastal's an interesting team because, you know, we've talked a lot about teams that started off pretty slowly and pretty inconsistently, but, you know, you kind of look up and the last, like, they've, they're won three straight games. They're, they have the same conference record as Georgia State does. You know, if that gives you any sort of barometer to where they are, they're only five and three. And yeah, they don't have a couple of the tiebreakers. Um, you know, it has no, I have no idea kind of where they end up, but a good season is right there for them. And it looked very on the ropes, you know, about a month ago. Yeah, like not even making a bolt. Like exactly. Very far from it. And then they've gotten on this role beating App State, beating Arkansas State, now beating Marshall at home. And this week they head to ODU with the chance to get that sixth win in bowl eligibility. Texas State at home, I mean, it's at home, but that's still going to be a test. And then they had to do an Army team that just does not look like decisively it this they year. They are. Real step bad. back year. Um, and then they finished for James Madison at home, which for them is a revenge game because if you'll remember last year, regular season finale was the same matchup. Uh, again, McCall was not playing that week, and they just absolutely got smoked up in Harrisonburg, 47-7. And so, I don't know. I don't know if there are factors in the East. I mean... For all intents and purposes, this game against ODU this Saturday feels like an eliminator between whoever there is going to get their third loss. And that feels like, you know, it could be a step too far to get to the East title, you know, the spot in the title game representing the East. But certainly, at least with the Army game they have left, I think they're going to get to six wins. And so it's going to add to the pack of teams of bowl eligibility in the Sunbelt and specifically the Sunbelt East where you know, everyone looks good. Nobody looks even close to mediocre, bad, you know, bottom 25 type. This, the, the West, I mean, Southern Miss showed life. You know, they changed play callers, and really it felt like that game was going to turn. They had a great so even this three quarters. Yeah, but, like, even they were, like, your obvious choice for, like, okay, no, like, the Sunbelt does have a that bad of a team in at Southern Miss, but even they showed some life. But especially in the East, like, it isn't a cliche because you look at it and I think the worst record – as an overall is four and four. Everyone in the Sunbelt East is at or above 500. Um, kind of, it's what everyone signed up for and it's what everyone's getting now, basically for the second year in a row. It'll be interesting to see how many of these East teams can go bowling. Um, you know, we're already at three. Coastal, like you said, just needs one more. And I mean, I think it's possible Old Dominion app and Marshall can find two wins on their schedule. You know, it wouldn't surprise me. But also, I mean, it's just if you kind of take a step back and look at the Sunbelt as a whole, Arkansas, Arkansas State has four wins. You know, I'm checking their schedule right now. But, I mean, it's not going to be an easy test to get those last two wins to be bowl eligible. But, you know, they kind of figured some stuff out in the middle of the season and ran into a Troy team and Coastal who's been better. I'm not saying that I see them beating Louisiana, South Alabama, or Texas State, you know, but the the way that the Sunbelt Conference has gone, I don't know that it would surprise me just given how tough it is to win each week in this in this league. And then South Alabama, I mean, they're playing Troy right now as we record this podcast. You know, look, even if they lose to Troy, Arkansas State, Marshall, and Texas State, I it is very possible that they get two wins out of that as well. So you know, I don't know. Like, I think a, a majority of the East bowling, if not all of it, and then a solid four teams, five teams in the West bowling, that would be insane. 
Yeah, we will try not to have dated takes on the West side because that game will be ongoing as we're recording on this Thursday night. Um, but already my idea that it was down to Troy, Louisiana in the West based on last Saturday looks a little bit rough because uh, South Alabama is certainly scrapping and they're capable of beating uh, Troy in this game, winning out. It just that loss to the Cajuns on Saturday felt like the kind of microcosm of everything where it's like they had a bunch of turnovers. They just didn't play very good football and they got beat at home by 13 and it wasn't really that close Um, by the team that I think when you entered the season, you clearly had below South Alabama when you were kind of tearing out the West. And I think everyone just kind of been like, Oh yeah. And Louisiana is there. They're good. They're not bad, but they're, you know, not players. And they are through everyone, but Troy on the West that really is a threat. You know, they have taken care of business against South Alabama and they came back and beat Texas State at home. And I think the, the thing you got to work watch out for is getting torched here by Jalen Rayner on the road this Saturday is an eight point favorite, maybe feeling good about yourself. So there's a little bit of a coaching job involved in getting them ready for this one and not having a letdown. But quietly, they feel like they've found some solid ground under Coach Desermo. Um, and I mean, we saw firsthand that it's a good team not going anywhere. And Zeon Chris being a freshman and being this good already should scare the rest of the Sun Belt because uh, he is just a freshman. He's still got a couple more years that he could grow from where he's at now, which already is setting them up to be, especially if Troy does lose this game in really good shape to represent the Western title game. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's a fun, that's a fun quarterback out there in Lafayette. So um you know, elsewhere last week, what a conference, man. You know, I, I will echo your sentiments on that Texas State-Troy game. I thought Texas State would hang a little bit more than they did. Um, you know, it was a 10-7 halftime lead. It, very similar to the Georgia State-Troy game. Yeah. Texas State had a lead, and it was kind of like it can go either way. And then the second half, Troy just said, uh, we're going to grab this game if that's cool, y'all. Yeah, I mean, you know, it was what, 10-7 at the half, and then Troy just got a touchdown, got another touchdown. There was a field goal for Texas State in there, but, you know, Troy just kind of went blitzkrieg on them and, you know, shut them out in the fourth. And, I mean, that's kind of what they do. They just, when they get ahead of steam and they're, you know, running like they can and or in gutter, you get a good Gunner Watson passing day, the defense is just going to be so hard to move the ball on that it's, you know, it can be a tough afternoon for you or tough evening. The turnovers and I think lack of red zone also came back to bite Texas State in this one as well. And I, I mean, I don't even want to call like a missed opportunity. Like, and I've, I've heard this point made elsewhere that because of how good the highs were at the beginning of the season, I think it is possible that like whatever ends up being the final record for Texas State feels like a disappointment for their fans. But like, it's kind of the same thing with Dion in Colorado, which unsurprising because they both kind of the exact same total roster rebuild with a lot of transfers. Like this was a big rebuild, like year one to getting to a bowl game, let alone, you know, what they could have gotten to being in a position to do what they could have done with a couple more results going their way. I mean, just getting to a bowl game was going to be a home run. So that's, there's still one win away from that. Um, I still think that, you know, as long as he can stay there and he can keep his offensive coordinator, because I know Kenny and Mac Leftwich are getting a lot of praise for what they've been able to do in installing that offense. And I know there is an expectation, at least one or a couple of 
good Texas FBS jobs will open up soon. And that will be very probably hard for a guy like Kenny to say no to for the, the pay raise it would offer him. So if, but if he's able to stay there, if they're able to keep those guys there and keep building on what they did in year one, like I almost independent of everyone else, I would feel pretty good about them heading into year two, as far as winning the West, just despite all I just said about Chris and despite that we know what Troy is and South Alabama has been good. Like it feels like with that offense, they have a ceiling that when it's going like it can be. And if they can keep adding the guys they want, from the high school Texas ranks, the Texas high school ranks, that could be a real buzzsaw uh, going forward. Other side, you know, opposite of buzzsaw, Marshall was 4-0, and they are 4-4. Four and four. And, like, I don't even know if Marshall versus App State this weekend qualifies as an anxiety bowl, because I think both teams are already past, like, their fan bases are past anxious. Like, they, they have been there, they've been at that spot, and the results of bared out for them that it's been kind of a disappointing year and so i think if you had to circle like one game where just all around the vibes are totally different than what everyone inside and outside those fan bases is expected it might be that game in boone this weekend where it's like i think i personally thought marshall had a good shot of being the best team in the east this year um and i think everyone was not going to give up on app until they kind of saw it happen and here we are and it's basically like the loser of this one has almost no path to eligibility because it really is hard to go like, yes, we can win three straight games in this very tough Sunbelt conference. It feels like the team that wins isn't guaranteed anything, but they'd be one win away. They'd have three weeks to get there. Um, this would be certainly anxiousness abound for whoever loses, which is why I still think it technically does qualify now that I've talked through a little bit, but I also don't think that winning this game is going to save it for any like coach Huff and coach Clark have got work to do to kind of rebuild some goodwill because this year has not gone to plan. All right, so uh, I said this last week when uh, Southern Miss was, you know, kind of beaten up on App State like they were. Do not be fooled by that 10, you know, that 10 point victory for the Mountaineers like Southern Miss was giving it to them. Um, I mean, look. If that game was a loss for App State, I think that the anxiety bowl of this would be a little bit stronger. Um, it certainly is not where either team wanted to be a month ago or, you know, coming into the season. Um, but yeah, it, it definitely has all of the recipe for, you know, some tension. And like you said, both of these teams need to start playing better for their respective coaches to garner some goodwill, you know, as you kind of wind down the season and get into a bowl or not getting into a bowl. Um, like if, if I feel like if App State misses a bowl, like they, it's not going to be an easy four games for them, but if App State misses a bowl. I mean, I, I really think that that's curtains for coach Clark. Yeah. I mean, I would almost correct what you said and say, like, I don't think that the win against Southern Miss fixed anything. I, I think it just prevented you, do you have that buyout talk that evening? Like, do a bunch of angry donors get together and say, this is it. Like, I, I don't think that winning that game, I don't think any fans or the boosters there were fooled by it. Like, if there are questions, if they are creeping in, barely beating a one-win Southern Miss team who hadn't looked good on offense all season was not going to make you feel better. It's just going to not make you feel like the absolute worst, the absolute disaster, the red sirens everywhere type of loss that that would have been. Uh, but we'll see how that goes. I mean, 
we're building this up to say <laughs> leading into our game well there is some interesting sunbelt but i think that the game we will focus on for the rest of this football talk will be the best game and the most intriguing game like from just a pure college football standpoint and not sickoing a little bit so moving right along to this weekend's contest, like we just said, number 23, James Madison comes to Atlanta on Saturday. Kick is at 3.30 p.m. and the action can be seen nationally on ESPN2. As the ranking might suggest, the Dukes are a perfect 8-0 in 2023, handing Troy one of their two losses back in September and heading to Charlottesville to knock off the flagship university of their Commonwealth in UVA. Their head coach is Kurt Signetti, who headed up to Harrisonburg in 2019 after successful stints with the D2 school, IUP, and Elon at the FCS level. He's got a 49-8 record at JMU and a career record of 116-34. Arizona transfer Jordan McLeod took the reins at quarterback midway through the Dukes' first game against Bucknell and hasn't given them back, tallying 18 passing touchdowns and averaging 254 passing yards a game this year. But the real story of James Madison starts and ends with their defense, as they have a six-sack lead at the top of the national leaderboard with 39 so far in their eight games. This is in large part due to the FBS leading 15.5 sacks of Duke's edge rusher Jalen Green. So gentlemen, thoughts on James Madison? First off, I think a, a distinction that we didn't really know mattered or didn't think about it in, in like a big gulf was the fact that this was going to be either an ESPN two or an ESPN U game. And even after Georgia state lost to Georgia Southern last week, they picked it over. I believe another option would have been Tulane was playing the same window um, for the ESPN two slot. And it matters because like, if you look underneath the numbers and Shane Metlin of the daily news record who covers JMU athletics posted the numbers for the ODU James Madison game from last Saturday, it had 59,000 viewers on ESPNU. It was going up against Ohio State, Wisconsin, and Colorado UCLA, which was always going to take a bunch of eyeballs. And I think that is kind of the growing thread because I forget what the number was for the Georgia State-Louisiana game two games ago, but I think it was in the 20,000, somewhere like 25K. Again, there were other games that Saturday night that were really, really appealing matchups that drew a bunch of eyeballs to where like... One, not everyone who has this general sports packages has ESPNU. And two, getting in that night window, I think both of those are really not the advantages you would think just because I don't know that those numbers on ESPNU are that much worse than what you get on ESPN+. And so getting the, the regular lineal ESPN2 spot at 3.30 avoiding the LSU-Alabama game this Saturday feels pretty significant. And it is making me rethink the framing on, like, if I see an ESPNU game gets announced, like, obviously getting on national eyeballs is never a bad thing, but I do think we need to start talking about ESPNU differently than any of the other possible channels George they could be on, because I think there is a pretty big difference. Yeah, I agree, you know, and I think a lot of people kind of still see ESPNU as a meme of sorts. You know, yeah, it is definitely still in ESPN's, you know, larger body of networks, but at the end of the day, like you mentioned, it's not on every single channel. Um, like, every single person who has access to cable television or access to sports doesn't have ESPNU. So, being on actual ESPN2, I mean, it's another 
not it's not in the nighttime. It's another nationally televised Georgia State game. I mean, they've been on those types of channels for a good bit of the year, and it's it's just more exposure for the Sun Belt. And the last number I would need to confirm feelings I don't have. I don't know what Georgia State Marshall drew on ESPN two in prime time on that weekend. Um, but I believe, if I remember right, the number was definitely bigger than like 25,000 or 50,000. So certainly a plus in that regard. And I think it is a good bit about James Madison that this game staying on ESPN too. Like they are the hot story in the G5, a lot of talk. Now you got your politicians up in Virginia getting involved and making headlines about this stuff. Um, but that still doesn't take away from the like, as bad as that loss was for Georgia State last Thursday, it didn't go so badly that the you know the suits, the people making these calls, thought it was so embarrassing that like they had to keep it on ESPNU or whatever. Like, it still at least is saying something, I guess. Um, and it is an interesting matchup because, you know, I think that a lot of James Madison fans who will tune in and see Georgia State's offensive plan might just be like, oh, hey, look, they watched last week because they're running these you know, double stack receivers on the outside and throwing screens at them and they're running some inside zone and trying to win the numbers game depending on where JMU's attention is going on defense. But it is stuff that Georgia State's been doing all year and had a lot of success with that we have singled out multiple times on this podcast when this offense has been going well. And so it isn't just that like, oh, do you had success with it? It's something Georgia State's been doing well. And so when I saw the success the Monarchs were having last Saturday, it was certainly a case of like, if the offense avoids the issues, especially down by the red zone, like there was a blueprint laid out for them this past Saturday for what can work even against what is a very good, very stout James Madison defense going to be about executing. It's going to be, I think mainly about Darren making the read at the line, seeing where the numbers are and making that call because there's a certain glass half empty view of that that like okay JMU is immediately getting a second crack at defending that type of uh, an offense but the other part of it the more glass half full is like it's not really something like if you've got the numbers if, you, if there's one guy to go after two receivers on the outside on a screen like there's there's not a whole lot the guy can be ready for if he just gets blocked out of the way so like Darren is able to make the right reads make the right calls checks at the line if he needs to the plays could be there, and we saw how they could be last weekend. Yeah, it was a really good game plan by Old Dominion, and I think the the tough part about facing James Madison is if you look at their, you know, they they are undefeated. That you know, this is to say nothing to take away from them. They have played in a ton of one score games and you know a lot of people will say that oh you know there's a bit of luck to that which you know i think you could argue to some degree that sure but what that tells me you know with this specific james madison team is they are incredible at situational football and not making mistakes when it comes to how they need to end games. You know, they had a one score game against the following teams, Virginia, Troy, Utah State, South Alabama, um, and then Old Dominion last week. That That's six one score games. And I'm not saying I'm not saying that Georgia State needs to have a one score game to to, you know, beat them. I'm not saying Georgia State is going to blow them out or anything like that. But I think when Georgia State has lost this year, they've lost twice. The Troy game, 
Georgia State, Darren had the two bad interceptions. They had the fumble in the red zone. They had another fumble. It's just a very sloppy game with Georgia State putting it on the ball, not being putting the ball on the ground, not being able to block. Last week against Georgia Southern, you know, yes, the offense kind of came back. Yes, you know, the defense kind of figured some things out, but the defense was out of position for a lot of the first half. Georgia Southern did kind of what they wanted to do. You know, the offense did not give the defense a chance to help them win that game based on the turnovers, based on the sloppy play and the poor execution in the first half. Um and, you know, Georgia State is going to need to have that high level of execution in this half, in this game, excuse me. And I think the the frustrating thing about losing to Southern on Thursday and having, you know, the extra couple of days to kind of think about it is if the Georgia State that played against Marshall shows up on Saturday, Georgia State can 100% beat James Madison. And I, you know, I think James Madison is good. Like I, I give all the respect in the world to James Madison. But if the Georgia State that played against Coastal Carolina, that played against Marshall, that played against Louisiana shows up, Georgia State can one hundred percent win this game. Yeah, I mean they're a five and a half point favorite. Like this is not a like they are outmatched situation. And like if you just you rattled off the the teams they have played one score games with, like if it's a team that's played one score games with the likes of UVA, who is not a like their power conference team, but not a very good one. Utah State, kind of a middle-of-the-road team in FBS. Like, I will say that a team who is doing that, Georgia State is capable of beating. This isn't, like, something you really have to, like, mind-meld too much to see the path for. Like, they have found a way to win these games, but they have been in games with, I think, teams that are less good than Georgia State, and it's a road game for James Madison. And so, yeah, for all that, I kind of, I don't really worry about, you just kind of worry about what's on the field on Saturday and who shows up, because... Yeah, I, th- I think that they're certainly capable. I think it's going to start with like I led off, led off with just cleaning the stuff up that's been ailing the offense. Because I don't think the offense played bad really, you know, in the second half it was pretty good except for in the red zone against Jordan Southern. And in the first quarter, at least on the one drive they scored, it looked all right. But it went totally off the rails in the second quarter wasn't good in the second half against Louisiana. So it's been a little bit of a downward trend and you've seen that reflected in they scored 20 and 27 in the last two games. And that's been down from where they had been scored. Um, and I think it's another thing where it's going to be a game where you're going to have to take your opportunities. And, you know, there's no guarantee you're going to hold this James Madison team under 30. And so if you're going to have to score upwards of 30 again, you're going to have to, every time you're near the end zone, you're going to have to punch it in and, and get, back in control or cut it lead to seven or what have you in the game situation. Uh, but it, it isn't easy because a lot fairly has been made of how good against the run this James Madison team. And we know how, how good this James Madison team is against the run. And we know that that's what Georgia state is going to want to try and establish. Uh, the Dukes are number one in FBS and run defense, allowing 48.88 yards per game. And that is after giving up a hundred plus to old dominion last Saturday. They are also number one in success rate against the run, 28%. And what success rate is, is it adds up the number of plays that on first down get 50% of the yards you need to move the chains, 70% of yards on a second down play, and 100% of yards to gain on third and fourth down. Divides those by the number of plays in the game. So on run plays, teams are getting that, you know, 
line of demarcation, 28% of plays. Best in FBS, and I would imagine they probably got a couple percentage lead in that category. Like that is an insanely good number. And it's it's not a fluky thing. It's just like they just play the run really well. And the scary thing, and I think the, the first thing, and this goes for the run and the pass for this game, is they lead the FBS in sacks as well, 39. They do it with four a lot of the time. And so the test number one for the offensive line for Georgia State is holding up against when they are just able to send the four guys. And that's not easy because Jalen Green leads the nation in sacks. He is a very good, you know, Montavious Cunningham and Travis Glover, wherever he's lined up on any given play, are going to have a lot of work cut out to keep him away from the pocket because he is very good at his job. And, you know, sneakily, he, he gets all the headlines right now because he's leading the country in sacks. Uh, James Carpenter is very good on the inside. And the worst place for a quarterback to get pressure is from the interior because the pocket just erases on them from inside and they have nowhere to go. And uh, Proma and Kamara, the other two guys, also very good. If you're able to make them have to start dialing up some blitzes to get pressure, it starts to open up a little bit more in the passing game. And it starts to maybe where you get a guy out of a lane on a run play if they're sending the house and you run out of it. And so if James Madison is able to get sacks without having to blitz, if they're able to mostly go and base stuff and run for the quarterback, I'm not going to give George State a great chance of winning this game because that's how they've been able to kind of take control of these games all year, just by doing it with base and letting their secondaries and linebackers play against the pass and be in good positions for that. The reason I would point to optimism of Georgia State is they've only given up nine sacks as an offense this year. So it is a strength against strength. And so for that respect, I don't have to assume. It's not like last week I was talking about with like the ODU offensive line has been really poor at giving up sacks and be a real worry. I think they can hold their own, but in this case, holding their own might be like you only give up three sacks instead of the five plus that James Madison has gotten in a lot of these games in the early season. Yeah, I mean, the trick the trick for Georgia State also is going to be getting back to winning on third down. Um, Georgia State still, you know, it, honestly, it kind of surprises me uh, to this point. They've been the best team in the conference this year at third down success, success rate. You know, they've converted 50% of their third downs. Genuinely, it does not feel like it's been that high. There have been some great games, don't get me wrong, um, but that still surprises me. ODU is at 30.77. Um, obviously, sorry, James Madison is at 30.77. Uh, I'm already thinking at the end of the season, um, but you know, the trick for Georgia state and the trick for James Madison is you really have to get them into third down situations. Like that is the hard part. They, if you, you know, sort by third down attempts in the conference, James Madison in eight games have only faced 104 third downs. Obviously, that's pretty unscientific. You know, the the if you're facing third down, if you're facing fewer third downs, it usually means that, like you said, Brady, your success rate is going to be higher simply because you're getting first and second down converted. So you don't even need to get to third downs. But if Georgia State is going to win this game, it's going to have to be finding ways to keep a team that has not had success getting like staying on the field when they've had to off the field and you know i know that james madison has had a really good time you know putting points on the board you know this is a team who is certainly up there in the conference in points per game um they certainly are scoring the football you know and honestly either way that they have to 
Um, they're currently sixth in points per game, you know, for the entire season. And if you sort that by their conference points per game, it's at 27.6. I think there is a path there for Georgia State to kind of keep this game on the like, like, look, they gave up 44 points to Georgia Southern last week. They did. I still think that it is a defense gave up 37. Yeah, I still think it is a good defense. I still think that this is a defense that is capable of holding teams to, you know, low 20s, mid 20s as a ceiling. You just in want terms the streak to start again. You, you <laughs> want to get back under 30. Yes, you're really just correct. making like a one game blip. This is correct. Um, and I'm, I'm not saying that Georgia State can't win a shootout. I think you would feel a lot better, though, if they were to hold James Madison to, you know, under 28 points like Georgia State has been holding to teams. And I'm going to repeat kind of a thing that I said about the Southern game that you just do it this time. Don't don't not do it, which is. If they're able to run the ball, it's kind of like Southern different offense, like they aren't doing the same things, but when the run game is working it is hard to stop because you get into the same thing you were dealing with against Southern where they've got you second guessing. They've got really good actions. They run really good plays. They run a lot of good play action and they've got really talented receivers. Surratt and Brown are, are one of the better duos in the Sun Belt. And I feel like every James Madison game I've watched, Reggie Brown has hit a huge touchdown catch. And so you got to be mindful of that. But it starts with being able to stop the run. And the example I would point to with that is actually when Georgia Southern went up to James Madison, because who is their best against an FBS opponent uh, in yards per carry? They only ended up with 125 rushing yards against Southern, but it was 5.43 yards per carry. And watching that game, it was like you'd get a nice little run to set up your second and short, and then the defense was going to have to be of two minds of like, are they running, are they passing it here? And it really just ate Southern to death in that game. Uh, and so it's what I said last week, and Obviously, we talked about it. Georgia State did not do a good job of stopping Jalen White in the Georgia Southern run game, and it got them out of sorts. The reason I guess you would point to maybe a little bit of a chance here is when you go into the low, the deeper numbers, James Madison has not been great running the ball. Like their actual just base level stats, I think they're like 125 a game. But speaking to success rate, they've got the best in the country against the run. They are 126 in offensive rushing success rate of 35.2. Uh, their total EPA running it, expected play, uh, exact, expected points added on any given play is 129 running the ball. And Georgia State has a top 20, you know, whatever numbers you want to use, a really good rush defense that just got a little bit cut up last week, which is the first time it really happened all year. And so... I think it's about executing and just kind of hitting that mentality from the start. I still think you look at this as a Georgia State defense that what they do best is stop the run. So I don't think that the last game should necessarily make you assume they can't do it. But I think it's the same proposition where if they are unable to and they're able to get that little bit ahead of steam in the run game and get in the Georgia State defense in the exact spot they were last week, Georgia State's defense could be in the exact same spot they were last week where they gave up upwards of 30 points and uh, really just couldn't until the second half put stuff together against, uh, against when it was Georgia Southern. And that'll be key. You know, I mean, look, we've said this how many times over the last few years, Georgia state's got to run the ball. They've got to be effective with it. Um, and, you know, maybe spread out your two ninety like, 
and keep the game situation in your favor instead of just doing most of it in the second quarter this time, second half this time, that seems like it would be important. Definitely. And, you know, I don't think that you can look at anything about this James Madison defense and call a weakness. But for all that we've said about the front, like where they have been gettable is in the passing game. Like they have the most passing yards given up in the Sunbelt per game, 282, which that should tell you that like context matters for stats like that because, okay, they have the worst passing defense in the country or in the conference, quote unquote. Uh, no, the, their defense is pretty good. Like it has not factored into their games. They're still undefeated despite of that. But the opportunities are there, especially if you get the screen game going early to where you can maybe work some deep shots. And so, you know, it feels like a, just a, a cop out or a cliche to be like, this is going to come down to quarterback play. But like if Darren has one of his good games and he's able to hit on those deep shots, which have evaded him the last few games, there've been opportunities there that, just the throat's not been connecting. They haven't had as much success. Some of the bigger passer pl- passing plays they have had the last couple of weeks have been shorter routes that turned into big plays. If Darren is able to get back into that and hit some of those deep shots he was hitting earlier in the year, I think on certain plays they will be there, especially if they're able to establish stuff with the, the passing game up at the line of scrimmage and they're able to suck in some of that attention. You can have a guy like Tyreek Williams go free down the field. And Robert Lewis, you know, certainly there was a lot of emphasis paid to him. He got 18 targets against Georgia Southern. He got 12 of those catches for 97 yards. Uh, maybe we're seeing him kind of retake that full-on mantle after Tyreek got close to him in receiving yardage, and maybe he's due for another big day. But like whoever it is, I think there are going to be plays. And it wouldn't shock me if we see like a play action, a real deep shot, whenever Georgia State's first possession is, like on the first or the second play, just to go ahead and try and catch them looking for that run, looking for that short stuff and hit them over the top because teams have had success in you know spurts hitting those type of plays against, against James Madison. And I think, yes, they're going to have to do the run because we know that that's what they need to establish to get everything working at its best. But I do think that as much as stopping the run for James Madison is going to be key for the defense, I think you flip it in the passing game and how explosive and, uh, you know, if you can have those big game-changing touchdowns that Georgia State can do, that would be where my attention will be on offense. All right, let's go ahead and move on to the second half of our show today, which is basketball. Uh, Just as a reminder, if you want to hear what we had to say about the Morehouse exhibition win, you can check out the postgame show that came out earlier this week in this exact same podcast feed, wherever you listen. Uh, But let's go ahead and talk about the final part of our preview, which is the new front court. It's a a pair of transfers, Leslie and Kerry, one from Longwood and Jaden Turner from Queens, along with a freshman seven foot. DK Maniel from Green Forest Academy in Decatur. So gentlemen, thoughts on the big men? Yeah, I'll cheat a little bit here and talk about the Morehouse game, but go listen to the other pod if you haven't yet because we go a little bit more into detail. But the reason I'll mention that game is I think the question with basically all production from the front court gone from last year's team and even going back from there, losing guys from previous seasons, like this was maybe the most influx and like the shortest amount of guys you could pull from just by sheer numbers of who is there. And I think the biggest worries you were looking at this front court is like, is there going to be just guys that can get you the volume? Like, are you going to see that? And I know it was against Morehouse. They're not a division one team. There's going to be a lot stiffer competition. But as 
I looked at this preview and thinking about like what we needed to see from the front court, seeing Jaden Turner get 19 and 12 in his first game in a Georgia State uniform, I think soothes a little bit of that because I think you see at least that he is able to go out and get you that raw production to where maybe he's not averaging a double-double game, but I do not believe it was an accident he led the A-Sun in rebounds per game as a guy who's 6'6". Like, clearly he has got that motor and he knows how to work down low. And I think you look at him as the guy that maybe is going to take the lead in that regard. But I don't want to give Leslie short shrift because he didn't really do it against Morehouse. The, the same production wasn't there. But I do wonder if what it settles into is like those two guys kind of trade off. Like, who's got a night where they're dropping 12 and 8? and Maybe both of them do it on a night, and that bodes really well. And it would be kind of a two-headed monster that Georgia State hasn't really had down low in a little while. And with all the talk about guards, it would just be very funny if like, what we haven't been talking about is like those two becoming kind of a gruesome twosome down low. Yeah, I think, you know, what Georgia State wanted to do last year was kind of pair up Edward DeMoco with uh, Jaheim Hudson and kind of go at teams and just be very physical on the block. Um, and then use kind of Jaheim's ability to space uh, as a method to, you know, make teams honor both the perimeter and, you know, you like you had to defend either or you can defend both at the same time. Um, obviously, it did not. It wasn't particularly successful, but Edward Namoko in the system another year, especially being that true big you know he's 610 true true college big you know he's going to get a, the majority of the minutes i would say but having that rotation of also big men to play on the other side of him i think that's just going to help like it allows you to do different things defensively it allows you to kind of match up in ways that you know teams are going to try to exploit georgia state's size um but you know with the way that you know jaden turner played and ha- him being smaller admittedly if he's still able to defend the paint like he can if he's able to defend the paint and be able to play on the wing teams aren't going to be able to just come at georgia state with small guards and you know try to run them off the paint and run them off the court you're gonna have to still bring the ball inside and you know that's where edward's gonna be and i'm not saying that it's just gonna be you know a situation where like you said we talked about the guards basically all year in the three-point shooting you know maybe it is a situation where the bigs are going to be really good and impactful but i mean you can just very clearly see what coach Hayes wants and how he has kind of put this team together. And you, you like the idea, you know, as we sit here right before the season starts with the personnel that he has. Yeah. And the thing that we hit on, like when these transfers happened was like, they have played a ton of college basketball and already you've heard from Jonas talking about that. They have brought that and that that has immediately cemented itself as like something they have brought to the team. And now as they're getting ready to play the games, I think the worry you have is foul trouble down low because you don't have that many guys, especially because, and we don't know exactly how long-term this is, but something that Jonas has mentioned a couple of times, freshman DK Manuel has been dealing with a lower leg injury and has not been you know, at full strength practicing. And it feels like maybe his debut is a little ways off. And so you've got Namoko, you've got Jaden and Leslie, uh, at that point you start getting a little bit less comfortable as the, the, the lower you go down as far as like just the sheer number of guys you have in the front court, which is a worry. It makes me wonder if they're going to mix in some zone 
which would also help with the size worry. If you're going to try and protect guys but not having them play man all the time, which also would go along with you – know, there are going to be plays where a guy who's 6'6 six, six is going to have issues playing a guy who's 6'9", six, 6'10", six, and it's no one's fault. It's just kind of like that is why you recruit the size you recruit. But it'll be interesting to see when DK can get back because – and I forget if I mentioned this outright on the pod or I just put it on my piece for Panther Talk, but when I talked to Jonas about the freshman, the comp he gave DK was Nick Claxton, who is currently in the NBA as kind of a defensive stopper. Is he still on the Nets? I believe he's on the Nets. I don't know why they would let him go. Uh, yeah, that sounds correct. Um, for a guy who hasn't played a minute, laying a comp of a current NBA player and feeling comfortable doing it, it whenever it hits for him, that is going to be something that should give Georgia State fans excitement because aside from guy who's seven foot who can hit threes, like if you're adding on like that type of comp, you feel pretty good about the type of player he can be. And so it's kind of the same with Malik Ferguson when we talked about the guards. Like we don't know when it's going to happen, but they definitely like their freshmen and something that Georgia State fans should be happy with, certainly. Uh, aside from the seven foot three point shooter of it all, um, to be comfortable giving a guy that comp before he's played a college minute certainly says a lot about what they think about him. And also a praise from Malik Ferguson, who we talked about on the guards preview. Um, don't know when we'll see it from either of them, but maybe more you know, sooner rather than later with DK, if he is healthy, just because there's less guys in the front court. But it's an interesting mix of guys. I'm interested to see kind of how this shakes out. And yeah, I, I, it feels like maybe the thing we haven't talked about as much because there are so many more guards that, you know, we'll see what kind of floor this veteran front court gives Georgia state heading into the season. Yeah. And, you know, we'll talk about the Belmont game. Um, I'm very excited for Monday because obviously last year left a lot of bad taste in anybody who's associated with Georgia state basketball's mouth. Um, and like I mentioned in the post game show, Yes, the exhibitions only tell you so much if they tell you anything at all. I think you are at least going to see a return of the style of play that Georgia State basketball has been known for the last few years. You know, whether that is, you know, best in conference type basketball, I don't know. It's November 2nd um, and the conference is tough. Like it's not it's not like what it was a few years ago where, you know, you'd have one team who's going to get almost 28 wins. Um, it is a tough conference. It's going to be a tough conference to win for whoever wins it. Um, but I will say Georgia State should be better. Um, the the players on the feet on the court will obviously determine how much better. Um, but it's it's an exciting group and it's an exciting time to kind of think back to down years for Georgia State and how they were very quickly able to right the ship. I don't know. I don't know what the ceiling for this team is. You know, we're going to kind of see how they play this upcoming Monday um, in their first full game. Um, but the, if the guards can play like how we expect them to, and if the bigs can play well, Georgia State's going to win a lot of games. All right. And finally, let's talk about that season opener up in Nashville on Monday at 7.30 p.m. Uh, playing Belmont broadcast on ESPN+. Plus. This will be only the second road opener for Georgia State in the past decade, doing so last 
at Georgia State in the 2020 to 2021 season. The previous time before that was when the Panthers headed to Duke on November 9th, 2012 to begin what was RJ Hunter's freshman season in Atlanta. This is the second half of a home and home between these two programs with the Bruins taking last year's contest at the Convocation Center 68 to 66. Belmont is led by Casey Alexander, and they've won 20-plus games every season since Alexander replaced the legendary Rick Bird. They were picked fifth in a loaded Missouri Valley Conference in the preseason poll. Gentlemen, thoughts on this season opener at Belmont? Yeah, kind of the the first thing to say, kind of piggybacking on what Georgian, uh, on what David was saying before we started the pre- Belmont part of this was, this is a team that you lost to at home. And so if you win this game, it would be a very quick way to show that you have progressed from last year's disappointment. Like just very in front of you. It's a team you lost to. Uh, you'd be going on the road this time. So it would certainly mean a little bit more. And, you know, I don't really know what to expect from this game. Um, I am not really taking that much stock in the Morehouse, except just to say that they looked more capable on offense than what even in the early stages when things were going better for Georgia State last year, um, they were showing it's still going to be a test because you know, Belmont loses Ben Shepard. He got drafted by the Pacers, I believe, in the first round. Uh, they also lose Freiburg, who absolutely torched Panthers in this game last year. He had 24 points on 7 of 10 from 3. He is also no longer, um, I believe he graduated. But the one thing I know about Belmont is they're going to shoot the ball well, especially from 3. And so it's still going to be right out of the gate a big test defensively to say nothing of whatever else Georgia state has to prove as the, the improvements they've made as an offense, this is going to really test their perimeter defense and the ability for all these new guards and who is playing with who to play sound assignment on the outside, because it's what they've done, you know, since Rick bird turned that into a really prominent, good mid-major program. And coach Alexander has not let that standard slip at all as he has taken over from coach bird. And they, They lost a couple of their better three-point shooters. I assume the guys they have got better or they brought in other guys who can shoot it. Like I just kind of, that's, that's what I'm expecting from this game. And so I know that it's not going to be easy, but this is your first opportunity to, you know, not be the 10 and 21 that you wore on shirts in the off season and say like, we are different from this team now. I love that they're playing Belmont first only because when Georgia state gets into Sunbelt play, you know, the thing that really sank them last year was the three ball, their inability to shoot it, their inability to defend it. And, you know, the better teams in the Sun Belt, the better college basketball teams, they shoot the bejesus out of the three ball. Get, facing a team who last year led their conference in three point shooting percentage at uh, 38.8%, you know, they're obviously guys have graduated, obviously, guys have left. Like you said, the thing that Belmont has been known for the last few years has been their ability to shoot the three. You know, they have consistently shot the basketball extremely well. And that is something that Georgia State is going to have to see. It's something that they're going to have to defend. And I'm not saying that they need to shut Belmont down. And, you know, if they Belmont shoots 73s and, you know, makes 40 percent of them that georgia state is doomed for their season no obviously not it's it's game one (laughs) but i will go on record and say i don't think they're going to attempt 73s in this game hey they probably will not attempt 70 shots maybe maybe they'll get to 70 but that i think you set the bar a little high there in your hypothetical 
That's fair. Um, but at the same time, though, you know, this is going to be a good learning experience for the way that Georgia State is going to end up having to play, you know, tougher defense later on in the season. You know, I think we talk a lot about Georgia State shooting the ball in the offseason. I'm sure it will calm Panther fans down if Georgia State has a great shooting performance. I mean, look. They had a decent one against the D2 team in the exhibition. You know, this is this is go time. This is, you know, quote unquote, real competition. So, yeah, you'd like to be comfortable saying, OK, as the season has started, you know, you feel better about their ability to shoot the basketball. Um, and, you know, that is also going to be another thing to watch. Is Dewan Odom going to play, you know, the entirety of the second half and be the only offensive option, you know? Are the transfers, you know, the new guys actually capable of, you know, shooting timely threes and threes that kind of space the defense and allow, you know, Edward Namoko to be a force down low and, you know, clean rebounds up. So, you know, it's exciting. It's another basketball season. It's a chance to right the wrongs of last year and, you know, just just play better. You know, at, at the end of the day, like, yeah, you want to go to the NCAA tournament every year as a, you know, mid-major school. but. Georgia State won 10 games last year. You know, that's not something that they do. So just, you know, if this is the stepping stone to playing better, you know, you just you really want to see them come out and play a good game of basketball. Yeah, I mean, they are from what I saw, it was a five point underdogs in this game, which I know less about college basketball odds and lines and everything than I do about football. And so I don't really know how to square that or whatever. But it does line up to me to be kind of like, it's a winnable game, but it is not a game that like you're hitting the alarm button if you do lose. I think the only issue would be if you just get blitzed and the shooting is bad and the defense looks suspect. But if you're playing a tight game and you lose down the stretch, I mean, this is still going to be, other than BYU, I think the best team as we look at things right now that Georgia State plays in the non-con. And it's right out of the game. So it's a test. It is going to tell us something depending on how well they play, but um, yeah, the win or loss here, like this is other than BYU, the least winnable game in non-conference, which also speaks to that there's some opportunities to stack up some wins and feel better than maybe everyone was last year as it hit conference play. It's also as, you know, was never far from my mentions after posting some final scores of road games last year, they're on the road right away, and Georgia State did not win a road game last year. I should know the number immediately, but I, I'm blanking because it's been a few months. I believe since 1983, that has not happened before last year. And so, hey, if you, they want to get it out of the way right away and kind of end that where it is and end my mentions getting blown up by mentions of stuff from the 80s, that'd be cool too. Yeah, you know, please win a game on the road this season. That, yeah, please do that. Yeah, I, there was some weirdness in it, and they played some good teams on the road last year. I mean, the Northeastern game aside, they play a lot more of them this year. If it is a thing we were talking about when things get to conference play, then I think that the expectations meter will already be dialed all the way down because it will mean dropping, before you even play anyone in the Sun Belt, some very, very winnable road games. Um, this maybe not being in that category, but certainly a game that they can take. And I'm interested to see. It's not just the perimeter shooting because they've also been like in the top five and made two point percentage quite a few times the last decade. And I know I mentioned that when we previewed this game last year. And so 
on the other side of things, like we started this basketball talk off with, it's a good first test for Leslie and Jaden as well down low and getting tested in that way. All right. And you know, we can't get you out of here without talking about everything happening in Georgia State Athletics this week. So let's roll right into it. Starting today, as of the release of this podcast, Friday, 6.30 p.m., volleyball travels up to Old Dominion to face the Monarchs. That match will be on ESPN+. And of course, Saturday, the big one, 3.30 p.m., Center Park Stadium, James Madison comes to town to take on the Panthers. That'll be on ESPN2, as well as broadcast on WRSFM 88.5 with Dave Cohen on the call. Brady and I will be in attendance for that one. And then on Sunday, the Sunbelt Conference Men's Soccer Championship begins Panthers traveling down to Orlando by way of two-seed UCF hosting that side of the bracket. Panthers, the sixth seed, will face West Virginia, the three-seed, in the third match at 3 p.m. You can watch that on ESPN+. Winner of that match plays in the semifinals on November 8th, also in Orlando. And then the winner of that match will play in match seven or the championship game on November 12th. And, of course, all of these will be on ESPN+. And then on Monday, we've got a dual basketball action going on. Women hosting Barry College in Atlanta at 6.30 p.m. And, of course, like we discussed earlier, the men traveling to Nashville to face Belmont at 7.30 p.m. That game will be on ESPN+. Or you can listen to Dave Cohen on WRSFM 88.5. And outside of that, that is everything that we've got going on in the next week for Georgia State Athletics. We will see you Saturday as number 23, James Madison, comes into the friendly confines of Center Park Stadium. And until then, have a great week and go Panthers.